0: It's fantastic to be here. I haven't been able to meet all of you yet. Um, I drove here with Dave and Ann and James, and it was just fantastic. And Dave and Ann, I mean, I think you guys should, like, open up a bed and breakfast. I mean, I had a legit English breakfast. I hear there's some debate about it. I didn't have beans, so I don't, I don't know if that's a legit... <laughs> But he did make he did make homemade. <laughs> was he walking out? Is that like? <laughs> he did make uh, homemade blueberry muffins, so, though, which was fantastic. Yeah. So uh, it is incredible to be here. Um, we started very similar to the way that you guys started. And to see the setup and tear down and everybody scrambling around and the different teams, I'm like, I remember this. (laughs) 13 years ago, we were doing the same thing. It was my job and responsibility. Um, uh, We met on Sunday mornings and and I was the guy that had to go pick up our trailer with all of our stuff in it. So 6 o'clock in the morning, I have to go get this trailer and I have to get it there in time and then the whole setup team would come out and set everything up. And, um, and, uh, and so it was great. It was, I had to preach, which made life a lot more difficult for me in those times, but, uh, I was probably the fastest at setting up the chairs faster than any other team. So I always made it a competition, which was great. So should I use this mic or? Maybe just go for that one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Go for this mic. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. So let me tell you this. Um, these are the good old days. Just you wait and see these moments right now, um, though, that you guys just started and uh, and uh, it's a recent and you guys have faced a pandemic. I remember the days when we were this size, and people were coming, and people were coming for the first time, we're like, man, those are great guys, and, and they're just wandered in, and they're like, ah, oh, well, you know, we're trying to check this church out, and they're like, there's a couple options. We don't know if we're going to stay. It's like, no, stay, and we've seen people stay who are now elders in our church. They're preaching on Sunday 13 years later, and there's this incredible privilege for those that have been with us since the beginning. That we, 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 were, we were in the moment when we were just a few and we've seen God do incredible things amongst us in the strength of relationships and the stories of God's faithfulness and goodness through the years. I cannot tell you how many amazing stories that I have had the privilege to be part of and witness as we just have been faithful. It's amazing that a lot of the stories of growth in the bible that jesus uses is that it's agricultural metaphors it's just something growing i don't know if you try to have tried to grow anything i i haven't because i'm horrible at it but you plant a seed and nothing happens a week later maybe you have this little green shoot coming out and over time if you stare at it you don't see growth But over time, you see growth. And I want to tell you, these are the good old days. Just you wait and see. Um, If you want to be part of something meaningful, this is meaningful. In five years from now, you're going to be celebrating. God, you did incredible things in 10 years from now. You're going to be celebrating. Uh, We are seven months into our own building. Um, I don't know how you guys think about this, but you're like, There's, it's, gonna, it's like beyond our ability to comprehend the possibility of getting our own building. We don't even know how it's going to happen. We were in the same boat, and now we have our own building, and it's been God's goodness and faithfulness to us. We have our church service going right now. Our second service has just started as, we, as I just stood up right now. And so I'm getting reports from some of our elders and my wife who's hosting the meeting for this morning. So things are going well, and so it's amazing that all the way in Houston there's people worshiping Jesus, and here in this moment people are worshiping Jesus. So let's get into it. I have an amazing wife, her name's Rachel, I call her Rach, and uh, we have four kids, very similar to Owen and Jenny, uh, which I had the privilege of having lunch with. And the, the house is just wonderful chaos. It's like a party all the time. And, um, and that's very much how our life has been. So these guys are leading the charge in, in this church. They have four young kids. Their life is beyond busy. So make sure you're where you can, supporting them and encouraging them, even giving them just an encouraging word. Just saying, hey, we're with you is encouraging to the soul. Just saying hey, that thing that of the hundred things that you're thinking about, that one thing, I'll take responsibility for that so you don't have to think about that anymore. When, when someone said, hey, you don't have to pick up the trailer anymore. I'll pick it up. I was like, glory, I've got on my knees and praise God, finally. You know, so anyways. All right, I want us to look at a passage in 1 Corinthians we're presently preaching through 1st Corinthians and it's been fun Uh, but I think there's an encouraging passage in this this book and um, I want us to read it and make some comments about it so the Corinthians had a whole bunch of problems they had a bunch of divisions and factions and a bunch of stuff going wrong there's there's this church plan it's a new church By the time Paul writes them, they've been going for about five years, and Paul's been away. And Paul hears about all these reports of this dysfunctional church. Um, They're Christians worshiping together, but there's problems that need to be addressed. So Paul addresses some problems. He's pretty direct and harsh at times. And then he's also answering some of their questions. And they had this question to Paul. One of the big questions was, can we eat idol meat? Is anybody struggling with that issue here this evening? No, I didn't think so. So they had this question, which is important to them, because all the meat basically was sacrificed to gods. And some Christians were going, should we eat this meat? We're Christians. We, it was sacrificed to another god, or, or is it okay to eat this meat? And there was a division about it. And so they asked Paul, should, or can we eat idol meat? And what they wanted was a yes or no answer. Just tell us, Paul, yes or no. But Paul doesn't give them a yes or no answer. He actually takes three whole chapters to give them an answer. In doing so, Paul is leading well because he's teaching these people to grow in maturity. When you're a parent, um, you have a two-year-old, you don't explain to your kids about everything. No is the way things work. Yes and no. Pretty much. And so if your kid is headed towards the fireplace and they're about to touch it, what do you say? No, you don't get into like the principles of combustion and no, you just yell no, because you want to protect them. But over time, as your kids get older, you start to teach them about things. Fire can be dangerous, but fire can also be used for good. And they grow in their understanding and maturity. And what Paul is skillfully doing for these Christians, he's not giving them a yes or no answer. It's not going to be that simple. He wants them to grow up And oftentimes as Christians, we kind of stay plateaued in our understanding and thinking. And God wants to stretch us and cause our understanding about how things work to grow and mature. Because these Christians were immature Christians and they needed to grow up and mature. So here's what Paul says. We're just going to read four verses, but really I'm giving an overview of three chapters. And so you could read chapters 8, 9, and 10 if you would like later. So here's Paul's final thoughts on answering this question of idol meat. And he says, says So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, Do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now, Paul wants these guys to mature. These are his final thoughts as he has labored in explaining to them why their thinking needs to be different. What Paul wants to do is give them a bigger purpose than the purpose that they are living with and thinking. They're thinking very uh, selfishly. It's all about me. It's all about me. There's divisions in the church. Why? Because people are saying, I want what I want. People People are divided. And Paul's like, no, you guys are getting it wrong. You're, you're here in the two-year-old level. It's time to grow up. Let's explain some things. What Paul wants to do is say, hey, get my perspective. Because perspective matters. Our perspective about how Christianity and how life and how what God expects about us matters. There's a story my dad used to tell of three bricklayers. Is that what you call them? Yeah. Bricklayer. So there's the first bricklayer. He, he, he is approached and, like, what are you doing? He says, Well, I'm, I'm building a wall. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. I could see that you're building a wall. You go to the second bricklayer layer, and you say, What are you doing? And he's doing the same thing the first guy's doing, but he answers differently. And he says, I am building a building. I'm building a building, which is a bigger and broader perspective. And then you go to the third guy and say, well, what are you doing? And he says, I am building a cathedral. I mean, it's amazing being in England. There's so many great churches, and it's just it looks like the movies, really, for an American. Because, like, whoa, it's really old. There's nothing old in, in Texas, right? But the perspective of, am I building a wall? Or am I building a cathedral? And what Paul wants to say is, you are building a cathedral. Get the right perspective. Because we could get lost in, oh, I'm just a poor bricklayer that's just building a wall. And we can think that about our Christian life, where God has us presently. And we can think, you know what? I just There's nothing special about what I am doing, And what Paul wants to do. No, like get the right perspective. Yes, you're locked into building this wall right now but what is way get the right perspective this is going to be a beautiful thing this is going to be a cathedral and we need to have this perspective in our lives because as followers of jesus we're called to a bigger vision and a bigger perspective life has meaning for us as christians Like, we can think, well, I've been a Christian for like six months, or I've been a Christian for 10 years now, and it just feels like we're going through the motions, and that is not true. There's a cathedral being built. Just be confident and expectant, and keep on being obedient to what God has called us to do. We wonder at times why we're not. feeling feeling fulfilled or experiencing meaning and joy we're wondering why we're not doing anything of consequence and people are asking this question and what Paul's saying man we have a hope and a purpose worth living we have a hope and a purpose worth living I don't know if you guys know Switchfoot but that song we were made to live for so much more you guys know it we were made to live for so much more so I'm not on the worship team (laughs) but um, when we started that church that was our anthem into the city like we want to say hey there's meaning and purpose in our lives you guys living your lives hungry for meaning and significance there is meaning and significance whether you're a Christian or not you were made to live for so much more follow God if you're not a Christian in the room you're invited to participate in God's amazing plan for your life If you're a Christian, you are part of God's amazing plan for your life. And we're invited to this. So Paul, in this passage, in in, in helping them to mature, he's saying, get your mind off the wrong things, your selfishness and your your own ideas and your own desires. Get get your mind off there and live for a purpose. Live for the cathedral. And so what is the cathedral? Paul states it in this passage. Paul's purpose... Paul's life purpose, what he says is, I live for the glory of God and the salvation of souls. Now this is not amazing, if you know your Bible, the New Testament, you see Paul's life, what is he living for? He's living for this singular focus, I want to live for God's glory, and we have it right here, all for the glory of God living for God's glory, and then he just lives for the benefit of others, always thinking about others. And this is amazing life's purpose. And you might think, well, that's good for Paul, but I am special, and I need my own unique purpose. And as Christians, we are invited to have the same purpose. Like, we, we're a lot of people are struggling for purpose. Well, what's my purpose? Why am I here on earth? I want to tell you, as Christians, it's very simple. You live for the glory of God and for the benefit of others. You're like, wait a second, I don't want that purpose. That's your purpose. And guess what? You got the best purpose. There's no better purpose. Any other purpose you want to chase, those are all secondary. Those are not the purpose of your life. If you're a Christian, you could run trying to pursue another purpose, but your greatest purpose, the most special, the best one, guess what? Out of all the options, God gave you the best option. You get the best life purpose, and that's that you live for the glory of God and for the benefit of others. So we live for this purpose, to to glorify God in all that we do and we live to benefit others. Now in our Christian life and this is where Paul is kind of bringing this to bear is because they're immature and they are neglecting to live for God's glory, living for their own glory and they're living for their benefit rather than other people's benefit. So Paul's helping them, hey, two-year-olds, it's not, you need to stop this because you're not two anymore. Now you're 5, And you need to start growing in maturity. So he cautions them about how they can hinder living in the purpose that God has for them. You guys with me? This is working. Speaking the same language. Awesome. Awesome. So he tells tells them four things. We'll pull, pull out four things of ways we hinder our purpose. Ways we hinder our purpose. Here's the first one. And Paul says this in these three chapters. We're just doing a summary overview of it. Paul says, we hinder our purpose if we allow legalism to creep into our lives, into our hearts, or if we allow it to creep into the church. The Corinthians wanted a yes or no answer. They wanted Paul to tell them what to do, but Paul with wisdom is refusing to give them a simple yes or no answer. Rather, he gives them perspective, and he takes time to do this. He takes three full chapters to do this. He knows that if he just gives them a yes or no answer, that he's just creating another rule. And to create more and more rules is just to create legalism in our hearts. Now, as a pastor... As a pastor, I look at some of my people in the church, and believe me, I want to create rules for them. I want to create special rules. And within the church, there are some people in the church, say, you crowd over here, you don't like what this crowd is doing, and you guys say, we need to create a rule for them. And at the same time, you guys are over here saying, we don't like what they're doing. We need to create a rule for them. And that is what is happening in the church. And we see this over and over again. I have convictions. This is the way I live. Let's impose this on everyone else. And Paul says, no, if we allow legalism to get into our lives and into our church, then it will destroy the purpose that God has for us. So Paul gives them wisdom, and he does things like this. He asks the question. He helps them ask questions rather than give them a yes or no answer. He says, is this helpful? In 1 Corinthians 6, 12, that's a good question to ask. There's things that we can do that aren't biblical issues. You can take a hammer to your head, but... That's not helpful. Or, or here's another question that Paul helps us. Does it build me up or does it build others up? Is it helpful? Is it going to encourage us as a community? He ha- has them ask this question. Would it hurt someone? 1 Corinthians 8, 9. Is it going to be harmful to somebody? Is it, is it going to hinder their walk with the Lord? He has them ask another question. Is it going to be enslaving or is it going to be addicting? 1 Corinthians six twelve. And then in this passage here, we're asked the, the big question of whether it glorifies God. So Paul says, no, I'm not going to give you a yes or no answer. I'm going to ask you to be wise, because Paul's opposing legalism. He knows that legalism suffocates the gospel in our hearts, causes us to not thrive in our faith as followers of Jesus. Jesus. Also, causes us to not grow as a church. Legalism creates a system that works against the gospel. It creates things that need to be done in order to be righteous and accepted, and it eliminates the grace of God. And it creates a hierarchy between the really righteous spiritual people to the just kind of okay Christians to the losers. And the losers get all the fame. And oh, uh, sorry, the righteous people get all the fame and the, and the losers feel despair. And this is a legalistic, legalistic system. And we've got to ensure that we're not putting a legalistic system in the church if we are going to continue to thrive. We've got to make sure that legalism doesn't creep into our hearts. It's like, yes, I love Jesus, plus this thing is really important to me. The second thing that we can hinder our life's purpose of glorifying God is if we put any unnecessary stumbling blocks for others. As if we put any unnecessary stumbling blocks for others. A stumbling block is something that is offensive and stops people from progressing in their faith, whether they're a Christian or non-Christian. And If we're living for the purpose that other people might know Jesus and grow in their faith and become fully devoted followers of Jesus, if that's our purpose, why would we make the process more complicated? And that's what Paul is saying. Now, here's what we know about the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is offensive. Here's what 1 Corinthians 1.22 says about the gospel. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block for the Jews and folly to the Gentiles but for those who are being called both Jews and Greeks Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God you see what he says that the gospel itself is foolish to those who are perishing it's folly it's a stumbling block and we can't remove the offense of the gospel and the offense of the gospel is it's you're a sinner. Um, and you don't have it all together. And despite your best effort, you're not going to get it together. But Jesus, who died on the cross in our place, and that's an offense for people to tell them this. And we don't want to put these stumbling blocks in people's lives. So here's a, what's called an Engel scale. Like if you're a missionary, you're often trained with this scale. Because you go out as a missionary, and you want people to to become Christians. And oftentimes, we think that the process of becoming a Christian is just like a two-step process. I once was lost, and now I'm found. And so I, I just, in a moment, I don't know what came over me. I just made a decision to follow Jesus. And now I'm a radical follower of Jesus, and there's nothing wrong in my life. And that doesn't work. If anybody's a Christian in the room, we know that that's not the way things work. There's actually a, a pro- process. It's a journey of faith, and it starts with no awareness of God. Um, we have uh, six weeks ago. I had the privilege. I uh, crossfit, and so I'm in the gym, and there's a guy that I've been working out with. I mean, he's tatted up. I mean, he has a big old spike coming down his face, like this. And I mean, this guy just looks hardcore. I mean, I've been nice to him. We've had a couple chats. He's very intimidating. Um, and he sat, sits down with me, and he says, hey, are you Christian? I said, yeah, actually I am. He goes, I knew that. You're a pastor, aren't you? I said, yeah, I'm, I'm a pastor. He goes, my life is a mess, and I never grew up in a Christian home. I don't know anything about the Christian faith, but I know something needs to change. Do you think I could come to your church? It's like, amazing. So he's been coming to our church, and he's gotten saved, and we're celebrating the goodness and faithfulness of God. But he was down here with no awareness of God. The first time he comes to our church, the message was on fasting. (laughs) And I'm like, man, I know today was kind of intense. It's not our normal message. And so the the next week we talked about biblical sexuality, and he brought his sons. He's like, whoa, you know, so... (laughs) So, like, we're like introducing the hardcore Christian <laughs> beliefs. So, and this is what he's getting saved into. It's absolutely amazing. And so, this journey looks like okay, some awareness of God, then he's connected with Christians. And if th- this is probably your story in the room for those of you that are saved, or maybe you're not saved and you're somewhere in this process. and there's a growing interest of Jesus and deciding to investigate Jesus, grasping with the truth and wrestling. Do I believe this? Does this make sense to me? To acceptance of the Christian truth, accepting in the, in, uh, the implications, and then, which the implications are the offense of the gospel. To the decision to surrender to Jesus. Okay, I believe Jesus is the son of God. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I want to give my life to him. And this is what we're living for. And this just doesn't stop here. It goes into being fully devoted followers of Jesus and growing. This, this is the most significant. If you're a Christian, this is the most significant thing about you. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm losing it here. If I get water, that'd be amazing. Sorry. This is the most significant thing about us, but it's also the invitation for all of us. The most significant and the big, big life purpose is we get to invite people to do this. We get to invite so what Paul is saying, why are you going to add a step here? Why are you gonna put, you know, between seven and eight or eight and nine, you're gonna add steps that are your preferences. You got moss flying around. This is so we can add preferences. It's like, well, I like whatever your football team is, Manchester United. I don't even know what team you guys like here. What is the team? Or you like rugby? Ready? Oh, so you sound it's. Thanks, man. So great. So we can get in silly arguments about what our preferences are by adding steps. Like, right? I mean, you've heard about the contention that's been going on in the United States with our politics and our elections last November. It's like talking to our people, trying to get them to understand. It's like you with your sign in your yard. You with your bumper sticker. You with your big slogan on your t-shirt. Do you not think you are potentially giving the perception to people who don't know Jesus that they have to believe in your political position in order to become a, Jesus, a follower of Jesus? would like, you realize what is at stake? You are adding steps to The journey that people could take to become Christians. Now we in this room, we all have convictions. If you're human, you have convictions. You have preferences. You have desires. And it's not wrong to have convictions and preferences and desires. What's wrong is to make them a stumbling block. To take them as really tertiary issues inconsequential. It's just your preference and to make them to the most important. That Jesus Christ died for our sins and you must align with my political party. It's silliness. That's what Paul is saying. Like If we're going to live our lives, we actually have to lay our lives down. Like I have a lot of opinions. I am more opinionated than, than my church believes. And I there was once, no, I'm not even going to tell you because you guys are going to judge me. I could tell you my perspective on certain things and you would think, oh my gosh, is heartless. Now you're wondering what they are. I'm not going to tell you because I don't want to be judged by you. But there's the convictions I have that I personally hold simple stuff like you know what burger is the best burger in the states there's different burger joints there's big division about it I don't tell my people which one I prefer I mean it's silly stuff like that and then goes into more serious stuff I withhold my pers- opinion and perspective because it doesn't matter I mean people have gotten so bold about showing their sharing their perspectives and their opinions and it's like hey, here's a thought. Don't share your perspective and opinion until someone asks you. And guess what? People don't really care. They're not going to ask you about these secondary issues because it's not important to lie. But, But people blowing up Facebook feed, telling everybody about their perspective and opinion. This is what Paul wants to warn against. We don't want to put stumbling blocks in in front of people. What Paul actually says is something phenomenal. He says, in everything, I make it my aim to please everyone. In everything, I make it my aim to please everyone. Now, how many people on your Christian journey this week, in the last seven days, have thought to yourself, you know what, I want to glorify God this, this week So I'm going to make it my aim to go please my coworkers and my neighbor. I want to please them in every way and everything that I can do. I'm going to please people. Any, any, no. Okay. This is Paul's mandate. And it's not, he's not saying I want to be a people pleaser living for the, 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 for people's approval. What he's saying is I want to lay down my rights and preferences for the benefit of others. That's what he says in chapter 9, verse 22. I became all things to all men that by all possible means I might win some. He's like, it doesn't matter what burger joint I like, what baseball team I like, or whatever you guys are arguing and fighting about. I'm sure there's something. In any place there's humans, there's going to be fighting about opinions. He says it doesn't matter. Because I'm living for my life purpose, and my life purpose isn't to debate about politics or food or whatever it may be. And there's been so many things to debate about. Masks and no masks, and it's just been impossible for pastors like Pat, Owen on the back, and Jenny, and just say, hey, thank you for just still being here after a year and a half. Awesome. You guys ready for the third point? All right, let's do it. So we can hinder our life's purpose, number three, if living for God's glory doesn't comprise all of your life. What Paul says is whether, I, whether we eat whatever, whatever, we eat or drink, whatever we do, do to the glory of God. And what he's saying is that every aspect of your life, every little detail of your life, every action, every behavior, every thought, all of it, Live for the glory of God. Uh, part of a, a little mantra I do with my kids, and I've done since they a little, I go, whether you eat or drink, and either they do it or, or I do it, like the first sentence, and they say, whatever you do, and they raise their hands like this, do to the, and then we all chant, do to the glory of God. This is our life's purpose, that in every area of our lives, we're aiming to please God. So, now you British are very understated. So I am learning to lead, read between the lines because us Americans are a little bit more boastful. So when I'm sitting with Owen, he, he goes, yeah, we're part of a rock climbing gym. I said, you rock climb?" He goes, yeah, a bit. I said, well, are you good at it? Oh, I'm not too bad. I know that means he's awesome, right? (laughs) I'm reading between the lines and starting to get it. Now, what if I told you, you know what I love to do? I love to rock climb. And I'm amazing. And I just like, it's my life's purpose. And then like, you see me in the rock climbing gym, and I'm never climbing, I'm just eating cookies. And then finally, like, one day you see me climb, and I'm pathetic. Now, what is inspiring about my life? Like, you think, man, what, what, a, what a loser. Like, he's talking big. He's talking big about something, but he can't do anything. He's actually horrible at this thing. That's uninspiring, and it's not compelling. And sometimes we do that as Christians. I'm a Christian. My life's purpose is to live for the glory. He matters more than anything else. But yet, in many of our actions, we're, we're, we're wearing the right you know, clothes and the right brand on our jackets, and we're like where everything says, we're Christian, but like actually, we kind of suck at it. There's something that's uncompelling. And this is what Paul is trying to convey. He's saying, actually, if you're going to live for life, your life purpose. It needs to consume you. It means that when you're at your workplace and you're with coworkers that you don't like, you live for the glory of God. I'm going to serve them. I'm going to love them, even if it's hard to love them. And when, when, I'm, when I, temptation faces me, I'm not going to give in to temptation because what consumes my life is living for the glory of God. And if I participate in that, it's not going to be for His glory. And I'm going to make the beauty of Jesus uncompelling to those who don't know him. We can hinder our life's purpose by not allowing our purpose to infect every aspect of our lives. That's what Paul's saying. He said, like, come on, you guys. You guys are missing it. Some of you guys are in the temple of other gods lounging back, drinking too much, and eating idle mean. everybody's thinking that you're a worshiper of other gods. You can't do that because we live for the glory of God, and we don't want anybody to think that our lives are uncompelling or we're diminishing the beauty of Jesus by our actions. That's what he's saying. If we're going to live for our life's purpose, then it means we're going to have to say. My son is competing. He's trying to make the CrossFit games. I don't know if you know anything about CrossFit, but CrossFit's a, a gym, but it's also like a sport, and they're making it competitive. So he's 16, and his goal is to make it to the games in six months. And so I just found out in a text. He was playing football, which is American football, on the field with some other guys. Well, it turns out he got hit in the leg, and his leg is all bruised up. And so, um, he's going to be fine. But I text him. He's 16 years old. I said, "Riley," this is my son's name. Said, "Saying yes to CrossFit Games means you're saying no to many other things. You got to hold to your decision." And that might sound that's a dad talking to a son, right? But if we're going to live for the glory of God, if we're saying yes to the glory of God then it means we're going to have to say no to a lot of things. There's a lot of things that we can be doing, but we're saying no to them because we said yes to something better. We can hinder living in our life's purpose if we're not willing to say yes. The last thing, and then we're done. Um, We can hinder if you're not willing to live in such a way that others can follow your example. Paul ends the entire argument of three chapters with this. Be imitators of me as I am Christ. It's like I'm teaching you wisdom. You are two-year-old, you guys are thinking like two-year-olds. I'm trying to teach you to understand. If this is hard for you to understand, and at the end of the day you don't understand anything I say, just follow my example. (laughs) And we need examples to follow. And if we are going to follow Paul's example, that means that we are also going to be people that others can follow our example. It means that we have to live in such a way that people could follow our example. How are we going to live in purpose, in our purpose? So we're going to live in such a way that we can point to our lives with integrity, say, hey, I'm not perfect, I don't have it all together, but look at my life and do what I do. The purpose of every follower of Jesus. And in this room right here, you're in a city, Wokingham. And the potential to see people who don't know Jesus, to come to know Jesus. And, and I, I want to tell you, you, as you continue to be faithful, over time, you're going to see a couple come in, and they're going to get saved. And, and one of you are going to have, be at a coffee shop, and you're going to meet someone, and you're going to bring someone, and then the story is they're going to get saved, and they're going to get baptized. And if you just stay faithful to this mission that God has given you collectively, you're going to see God's goodness and faithfulness. But that's going to, be, that's going to come because you're living as an example, which means you're living as a follower of Jesus. That means your life is testifying, hey, I am following Christ. And my life has been shaped by following Christ. And it looks different than the patterns of this world. This whole world's doing all their things, and it's all the same. Everybody's striving to be different and unique. I I got life figured out, and they don't have life figured out. As followers of Jesus, God gives us meaning, life, and purpose. And as we allow our life to be formed, as Christ is formed in us, and we become a light to those that are far that are lost in darkness because we're exemplifying our life after Jesus our lives become compelling because we're making Jesus compelling and this is life on purpose and it's a great invitation and in our hearts we can we're constantly tempted to pursue lesser purposes sometimes we're tired Sometimes we're discouraged. Sometimes we're just like at our end and we just want to, you know, watch Netflix because we just can't, you know, we can't engage. It's just too much, just too much demand. I can't go through it. So some people engage in substance abuse or chase after growing a bank account. We can chase after lesser purposes. And it's a lesser purpose. The great purpose that God calls us to and the the story of this church five years from now, ten years from now, you're going to see God's faithfulness. You're going to see God do amazing things. He's going to heal people because you're praying for them. People like my CrossFit buddy are going to come. You're going to be scared by their appearance just because they're so dominating. And you're going to see their hearts soften by the love of Jesus. And this is the purpose. This is the great purpose that God has for us. Now, if you're in this room and you know Jesus, it's because there's other people that were living on their life's purpose to point you to Jesus. And this is what God invites us to. I just want to, I wanted to come here and I prayed for the last 24 hours. God, can I be encouragement to this church? I want to be encouragement to you. I know the days that you are in. And I know some of you that aren't really sure if you're going to stay long-term. I, I, I know what the room feels like. I remember the, the days. And I want to say that God is doing a great work here. It's living on life's purpose. Collectively, you're glorifying God for the salvation of souls in Wokingham and beyond. And through this church, there's going to be church plants, leaders raise, and become elders. Some of you are sitting there and like, I have nothing to offer. In five years' time, you might be an elder here. You might be preaching up here. You might be preaching in another nation, maybe in Houston, Texas. God can do incredible things if we're just willing to say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. I feel like I'm building a brick wall. That's all. I'm just a bricklayer. A ho-hum. Life doesn't have any meaning. Actually, if you change your perspective, you'll see that what God's doing through you is He's building a cathedral. What God's doing through this church, He's building a cathedral. And it's going to be beautiful. So, would you please stand? I'll pray for you and hand it over. Thank you for listening to me. I hope my voice, my Inferior English accent wasn't too distracting to you. God, I I thank you that um, you are the chief shepherd of the church. You're the chief shepherd of this church. You're the the shepherd of our souls. Thank you, God, that you are doing a great work. That this church was in your mind before it was in, in anybody's mind you want to do gospel work into this city, that you want the gospel to saturate Wokingham through this church and other churches in this city. God, we pray, God, that you would unite hearts together in this room. I pray, Lord, that there would be hearts of one purpose, committed to what you have for them, to glorify God in all things, whatever we do do to do for the glory of God. Yes. Holy Spirit would you come and would you infuse power for those who are weary and tired? Would you come now, Lord, and strengthen feeble knees and would you broaden shoulders and God, would you lift people's eyes so that they can see with clarity as eyes of flint on the mission, on the purpose that they're not just building little walls, they're building something beautiful that you've had in mind from long ago. In Jesus' name, amen.